Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitcavage, and this is a podcast where you can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check us out on the web at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. Today's guest has had their writing appear in numerous publications like A Public Space, The Sun, McSqueenies, and Kenyon Review. She has received grants, scholarships, and fellowships from Bread Loaf Writers Conference, McDowell, Holony, Yaddo, and many, many more locations. She was one of the 2018 Emerging Writing Fellows from a Public Space. She holds a PhD from the University of Texas at Dallas. Her debut novel, Parish, is out now. Please welcome LaToya Watkins. Hey, LaToya, how are you doing today? I am well. Uh, it's wet and rainy here, but I am well. Mm-hmm. And before we start recording, you said you were in actually in Texas, which is where you're from originally, correct? I am originally from Texas. And then for people who will read Parish, will know that Texas is a vital role in the story. Um, well, thank you for joining us with a storm and everything. Um, <laughs> I would love for you... I love to give authors the chance to tell readers what their book is about from their own perspective, not the publicity copy, not the media jumbo or mumbo jumbo. Um, what is Parish to you, to Latoya Watkins? Okay, so um, Parish is essentially a book about family, and you have this family coming together to say goodbye to their matriarch. Um, and this reunion forces them to confront the past and ask some questions, some very important questions to themselves and each other and decide if uh, this family will move forward, um, work at moving forward or implode um, at, at the point of this kind of confrontation. And as much as this book is about family and the messiness of that, it's about love and forgiveness and choices and consequences and poverty and class mm-hmm. and redemption. Yeah, so. you do you do a lot with the novel. What part of it came first? Was it the family or was it wanting to talk about poverty and like history? What what was the first kind of what kicked everything off for you? I think it was the history. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about West Texas um, and Black people in West Texas, because when you think about West Texas, I think when I think about it, when I've always thought about it as a young girl, I've thought about cattle drives and cowboys and none of those things were Black for me. So when I discovered that there were like uh, these Black communities all throughout West Texas, not just the one my family was from, I was fascinated. And I wanted to go and find out how they were shaped, how they were formed, how these people got there. Um, So I think it started with place, the Mm. history of place first. Mm. You mentioned like uh, growing up in a black community. When when did you realize there was other black communities in Texas? Were you younger or was it later in, in life? I was in grad school. Mm. Um, it was actually when I was looking back and because we moved away mm-hmm. when I was still in grade school, but I went back every summer. And for me, there was no place in the world like where I came from. So mm-hmm. go back there every summer and be in a community where there were so many people um, that I knew and who looked like me was the most fascinating thing ever. 
Um, but when I started studying um, the history, it started with the, the Great Migration. And I was like, well, you know, I, we didn't make it to those, you know, northern cities. What happened to us? Well, I realized that we'd migrated. Um, and I don't know if my um, ancestors meant to make it to those cities, but where we ended up, um, a lot of people did as well. So, and, and then a lot, they didn't all end up in the same town. So I found that idea fascinating because before um, emancipation, there was little settlement in that region. Mm -hmm. There was, oh, go ahead. There was no slavery. So all of the norms and practices everyone brought with them. And for me, it's still one of the most segregated places in Texas, right? Mm. Um, and I just wondered how it got there. Yeah, that that fascinates me that it took until grad school for you to learn that. I mean, you mentioned you left in grade school. So and, and it's this and like your community that you grew up in is this magical place. And I agree. I left my original, like where all my family is uh, in Pennsylvania in grade school. And then like, it has this mythos to it. Um, of course, everything's changed, but every time I go back, it just feels like I'm you know, eight still. Um, do you feel that way when you go back to Texas? Like you were just instantly a young girl. I do. I do. I remember thinking that um, everything in our neighborhood, the streets were really wide. I've never seen wider streets. Um, and I remember thinking that my first visit to my research visit, I thought, well, maybe the streets were so wide. I was taking notes on things that I remembered. And I thought maybe the streets were so wide because I was so young, but the streets were really wide when I got there. So, um, yeah, I still felt like a child when I mm -hmm. went back. Wow. Yeah. And, and your book, you, you said you started with the history with wanting to tell this part of the world to the rest of the world. And then there's four main narrators, but then it's intercut with um, the matriarch that you mentioned. When did their voices come into play? Did you start with one or did they all kind of come rushing in? To the, the, the book actually started in um, as a novella. Mm put away. It was the first um, thing in grad school that I ever wrote. And I put it away. It was such a hard novella to write. Um, but it started with only Lydia and Jan were there. And then when I decided, um, I guess it was about eight, seven or eight years later to make it a novel, I, the first draft of that had like 16 narrators um, and going back and deciding who got to stay and who got to go, who needed to tell the story, who needed to heal. And, you know, those things were just part of the revision process of, of writing that novel. But I think that the characters that stayed were the ones that I think needed the most. And, um, had been dismissed the most. And um, the ones that Helen Jean needed to pour into or needed to bring together um, with her death. Mm -hmm. 
and Helen Jean, of course, is the matriarch of Parish. Um, those characters that you had to cut their narration, do they find their ways into the rest of the narratives? Did you rework them a little bit so that they were still present, but maybe just not as a focal point? Some of them went away altogether. Wow. Most away altogether. Um, they don't exist anymore. I think Julie B was one of those um, characters later on that survived. Alex survived. Wayne survived. Um, those brothers, uh, Helen Jean's brothers, had voices before. So they survived the cut. But there were so many um, wow. characters that didn't even make it into the story. Wow. And as a writer, I I'm fascinated by this. I'll take a little detour. As someone who creates these characters who lives with them for so long, what is it like when you realize, I just have to like, erase them from existence um they 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 are cut out of this story but a lot of times they end up somewhere else mm. um, their story was different and it needed to be told in a different way this wasn't the, wasn't the occasion for them so i don't think they really die they just don't survive the world of parish yeah that makes sense um and, and you mentioned this was a novella you went you, you you set it away for a better part of a decade seven eight years what is it like revisiting work I mean me seven years ago as a completely different person did you feel different when you went back did you even recognize the writing did you recognize who you were at the time I didn't because when I wrote this um I think the reason I chose to flesh this one out and make this one into a novel because like I said it was the first thing I ever wrote in grad school there was a pureness to the story like this raw um uncut this lack of training this honesty that hadn't been touched by any information that I'd learned about industry or mm -hmm. um there was no rejection um at this point I didn't have any of that. It was almost like I was, I don't know how else to say it besides pure. Um, so the story comes through in a way that is honest and unflinching um, because of, of that. And to, the one thing is known, it cannot be unknown. So trying to recreate that was pretty much impossible. But the task was to get close, as close to that as I possibly could, um, to be that person who wanted to give a reader, not readers, but a reader, the reader for this work, exactly what they needed to survive in real life um, was a really hard thing to do. I was terrified about writing such a difficult um novel such such a devastating novel um but it was because i had grown as a writer that i was terrified i wasn't terrified when i drafted that mm -hmm. how much of the original novella either you know from the sentence level to the ideas to the characters that that you, that you mentioned that had stayed how much of it is is that version or was it rehauled completely I think the spine of the story is the same, like this 
intergenerational trauma. I think that's the only idea that um, still exists, which was the hardest idea for me to write. Like the, the, the abuse that happens in this book is the thing that still remains. Um, and that was, I think everything else has been kind of changed. Um, but that was the thing that I wanted to write about. Um, and this was the only place that I'd done it. Mm -hmm. I want to shift focus a little bit to your career. You mentioned grad school. You mentioned seven, eight years go by before you touch upon this. Was I know you have a PhD in, in literature. Is that correct? Or am I making that up completely? It's in, I, I was in an interdisciplinary program. Mm. So it's in writing and literature and history, aesthetic studies. Mm -hmm. And is that where the parish novella, is that the grad program you were referencing? Or was there another MFA or anything prior no. to the PhD? Okay. Um, I, I did the master's and the um, PhD in like a single sitting. Okay. Um, I just didn't stop after the master's. And um, I wrote it the first part of that master's program. Got it, got it. I just want to clarify and make sure I understood. And then so I guess you wrote Parish the novella, which is just what I'll call it. And I know it was probably called something else in your head for a long time, but the novella part, and then you, you were pure, and then you learned all these things. You went through a master's program, you went through a PhD program and and, and focused on all these different disciplines. I guess like, what is your writing now, if not pure? Because it was then, what, like, what did you learn throughout those that whole program? I still try to be as honest as I possibly can. Um, but I think once you know about the, the business side of things or the publishing side of things, you're all, I, when I first started writing, I was writing for like with one person in mind, right? Like, and I, it was almost like, a prescription for one person. Oh, this person is struggling with this. I'm going to write this thing and hopefully it helps them in some type of way. Um, but as much as I try to get back to that place, as much as I tell myself this story is for this person or to honor this thing, it's wrapped in so much more, right? Because I want to get it in the places where it'll be read. And before that wasn't an issue. And I guess that's what I mean. I should yeah. clarify what I mean by pure and no, like I know this now. I know that there is a bigger goal than just that one person. Um, so um, I tend to, sometimes if I tend to think about that too much, um, I find myself veering off or becoming tangential in my, my work. So that's a thing that I have to do a lot is think of something as a gift to one person. Mm -hmm. No, and I'm I'm glad we we kind of talked more about this because I, I, I've talked to a lot of writers who said something very similar. Yes, of course, when you're writing, it's the art, it's, it's you're doing what you want to do. But at some point, the business side creeps in uh, because that's the reality of life, right? Um, when... I know you you try not to think about it when writing, but when do you start thinking about where could this be published? How could it be published? Does that come after a draft? Is it always kind of lingering? It comes after 
a draft. Um, and, and before I learned what issues I was facing, what was stopping me from being able to write um, what I wanted to write, I, it did, it was lingering. Like I'm gonna, I want a story published here or I want to send this to this place. So now I am in a place where I want to write a story and then look back at it and consider where it belongs once it is a story. And you've had a long career, a story career already prior to your debut novel being published, a Pushcart Prize back in 2015, numerous, you know, um, I'm blanking on the word, but like McDowell, Yaddo, going to these um, retreats. Did you expect your debut full length to take so long, I guess? I... Actually, I didn't. Um, I, I, as I was writing um, the novel, trying to figure the novel out, or before I even tried to take a stab at the novel, I just thought I would maybe my my work would be collections, short mm. story, um, because those come. To, I, I love writing short stories because I can do them in a single setting, right? And and. Those are so I don't I feel like I'm changing. We are all changing, moving towards change every day and novel writing. You're doing that so much that you're constantly going back and changing things and recreating things and de changing your mind on. on. So I always knew that that would take me a little longer, but I always thought that my first um, book would be. A collection is a so, collection on the horizon for you a collection is on the horizon next summer mm, um, i love to hear that <laughs> uh, <laughs> one thing i i never have asked a writer but i want to ask you and we can cut this if you don't want to talk about it but your your author photo is stunning um you are in like uh this gorgeous mustard yellow in the book do you what 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 goes into thinking about author photos because they will be everywhere on the internet in your book on every publication um yeah could you just talk about that process because that's a part of the business i don't think we talk about at all because it's like just on a flap at the end of the book sure sure um i actually don't think i'm a very photogenic person mm. so i i often avoid professional photos. Um, it's it's like, it brings me uh, a lot of anxiety. So I have a friend who is like, she she takes new photos for everything that she has done, a press release, uh, a new story. Like I'm going to get new photos. And she's very, she's beautiful and very photogenic. And she was on me like, are you gonna take new photos? Are you gonna take new photos? And I had really long hair when I sold my book. It was like to the middle of my back. Mm -hmm. Then after I after after the book was um, had a home, I cut it. I was like, this is all the hair that I'd grown when I was creating this book. And I want to start all over. I want to, you know, I want to clear my head. So I cut my hair and she was like, you've got to get new photos. Like your last photo, you had this long hair. And I was like, why can't we just use this one? So um, I scheduled the 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 uh, appointment with the photographer and I was like, you know, we're going to 
take photos and it's something that I was very awkward and uncomfortable in. And we took all these photos and um, I thought that we weren't going to have one good one. It was, I think we had like an hour long session and mine took 15 minutes because I, I was, it was just so awkward. And I was like, I think this is enough. Like, I don't think I can do any more of these, you know, coach poses or anything, but apparently it's a really big deal. Like author photos. Um, and I'm glad that I got them. And thank you for um, thinking that it was stunning. Um, it's stunning. I think I might get new photos for <laughs> my new book. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so much about author photos because of Day Beautiful, like, you know, making a graphic for every author I feature. And there's it's it's difficult because it's I think writers in general are just more introverted. They don't necessarily want to be the center of attention and, you know, author headshots, you are the center of attention for, like you said, an hour or 15 minutes in your case. <laughs> you are, you are. Um, I I'll wrap up with asking, thank you for talking about that. I've always wanted to talk about author photos on the podcast. I never have. And I'm glad I talked to you about it. Um, but I want to <laughs> wrap up with um, what have you been reading or what's on your radar? You mentioned your love of short stories. Do you read a lot of short stories? Uh, just kind of what's going on in Latoya's reading world? I do um, read a lot of short stories. I just read, though, a novel hmm. called, um, it's a horror, like a Nigerian horror type of dystopian, Nigerian dystopian novel called um, A Beautiful Thing to Behold um, by Umar Tariki. I think that's how you say his name. And it's beautiful. Um, like, it's beautiful. I wept. Um, but I'm also like, there are so many things on my bookshelf. I, um, am actually right now currently reading Destiny, um, Birdsong's Nobody's Magic. And I'm enjoying that, um, so much. The short story collections, um, that I I tend to reread short story collections a lot. There are so many that um, I I love. I love Lauren Groff's short story writing, Jamel Brinkley's short story writing, um, Edward P. Jones. Are I constantly revisit those um, stories. Um, I am a big reader, so I'm always reading something. Thank you so much to LaToya Watkins for joining the Day Beautiful podcast to talk about her debut novel, Parish, which is out now. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. L. Watkins. That's D-R-L Watkins. You can find Day Beautiful at Day Beautiful on all social media and on the internet at daybeautiful.net. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful. <laughs>